we are going to talk about this morning, anxiety. So if last week's passage was intense, because we talked about treasure and treasure in heaven, this week is uh, intense because we're talking about anxiety. And the passage is there in the bulletin. Um, and it's something that I think most of us are familiar with. There's that scene from uh, White Men Can't Jump, right? Where, where um, I just went blank. Who's the actor? Not Woody Harrelson, but... Yes, I was going to say that. I thought, no, he's in legal trouble. Wesley Snipes was telling Woody Harrelson, maybe you've heard this music before, and I may have it backwards, but you've never really listened. Or maybe you've listened to the music, but you've never heard the music. Have I just ruined this? Have I completely destroyed this? I'll start all the way over. Well, I think we do that with Scripture. A lot of us have maybe listened to the Scripture or read it, but I think what I'm hoping this morning as we look at anxiety through the power of the Spirit, that we really hear the music of the Gospel that Jesus is giving us in this passage when He tells us we are free from anxiety. So if you'll stand and we'll read this, let's read it as those who have never read it before. I will read you follow along. It's there in your bulletin or you can turn in your Bibles. Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the Word of the Lord. And you may be seated. Heavenly Father, if we are honest, every one of us struggles with anxiousness. If not just from time to time, it might even be sort of the um, backdrop to everything we do. And we need You. So I pray that this morning, not only would this Scripture make sense, but that it would change us. That Your Spirit would be present, revealing us in us the need we have for You. And the ways that You might perform even a miracle in our lives. In Your name we pray. Amen. When we were in seminary, Emily and I, for one of our anniversary trips, she had planned it this time. We tried to go back and forth. That worked for a little while. Uh, I think one of my years I failed. I don't know. So the trip that she planned was a lake trip, and we rented a pontoon boat at Grand Lake, but we were driving in from St. Louis, and two couples were coming up in the city. We met in, at Grand Lake. We did not know the car and jet, or we would have had a different trip. But um, here we are, this house, we've rented this pontoon boat, 
And we were told that, you know, on a pontoon boat, you can not only relax, and if everyone knows a pontoon boat, they're the two huge silver pontoon thingies, and they're flat, so you can kind of float, but you can also, supposedly, get up enough speed to actually pull someone behind you, like on a jet ski or an inner tube. Well, we were not quite finding that speed. We were out there, we were enjoying it, it was fun, it was sunny, but, you know, the inner tube, we'd be on it, but it was just kind of like flailing around. And we just we we knew something seemed to be wrong, especially when the other pontoon boats were just flying by us. Of course, it could have been the engine, but this didn't seem right. And then we went to dinner that night. We pontooned our way across to some restaurant, enjoyed the food, and on our way back, it just was going slower and slower. And, and then we ran out of gas. As we were running out of gas, we realized this was happening, so we turned into a cove. Now I, I'm sure Tom knows exactly like, oh, I know the Grand Lake, like probably. I don't know. This is like a foreign place to me. And we're in this cove with boats, but there's no houses anywhere. And so we get out and we start looking for the nearest house. We can't find anything. We're out of gas. We have I don't know why we don't have cell phones, because this was the 2000s. But we didn't have a cell phone that seemed to work or something. So we're just sitting there. And finally, uh, two, the two other husbands are like, we're going to go get some gas. So they, we go to take some gas off of another boat. They have a can. We use their gas. We stole gas. And we filled the pontoon boat just enough. And then we put a little note, like $10, sorry, we were really out of gas here. You know, gave them the gas. Again, Tom, if that was your can, thank you. Um, and then we kind of muddled our way back to where we were staying. And we remember just thinking that was not what we expected. About a week later, we get an email or a phone call, because we turned it in and complained. And they said, that's just a pontoon boat. You know, you city slickers, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, they call us and they said, actually, it turned out, one or both were taking on water. And they were operating at about like 40 or 50% efficiency. So they offered us half our money back. Thanks. The other half was great. The cove was wonderful. Um, that's what anxiety does. Anxiety reveals there's something wrong. It's not the problem itself, though it can be, but it tells you something else is going on. And our experience on the water was poor, was bad, was slow, but it told us something else beneath the surface was really wrong. And it was frustrating to talk to the experts, and they looked at us like, nope, the problem's with you guys, your expectations, something else. When in reality, the problem was with the boat, the vessel. And in our own hearts, we are often weighed down by anxiety. And it's actually an opportunity to see that something's missing and something's wrong. But typically, we try to treat it as a symptom and I'm not saying that's wrong across the board. I know many of us struggle with anxiety. I'm one of the worst. But what, the, what Jesus is telling us is there's something far deeper going on. Something is not operating according to the way it should operate. And what he tells us and what we're going to explore this morning is the fact that as Christians, we have a Father who is in heaven who loves us. And the promise in this passage, if you want to believe it, and I would hope you would, is that we can live lives free from anxiety if we believe the gospel. So, the call order, let's dig in. The three things we're going to look at, the first one, we can live lives free of anxiety because God is in control. Secondly, because God does not, or because worry doesn't work. And then thirdly, because we are valuable. So starting with because God is in control. The Sermon on the Mount, remember, is Jesus taking his closest disciples away from the crowds, and he's imparting radical information. And the most radical thing he's telling them 
is that God who they've heard about all of their lives as little Jewish boys growing up, that same God is their Heavenly Father. And that is radical. And he's been making this point throughout the sermon. But one of the keys to that is that he is completely in control. And so when, God, when Jesus begins to explain that we don't need to be anxious, he starts by saying, let's just talk about nature, for example. And he gives two examples. He talks about the birds of the air, right? The birds of the air are completely cared for. You know, we sing songs like, you know, about this, this, you know, his eyes on the sparrow. And we, we talk about that, that God would care for birds. As you drive down the street, you just, they're meaningless to us often. They're bothering us sometimes. And yet God cares for the birds or the lilies in the field. And so God is completely in control. But I think for many of us, that doesn't hit home. That doesn't sink in. And that is what is so amazing about the way Jesus used this illustration. And we're going to build on the birds as we go along. But the fact that he would care for such insignificant creatures and have every aspect of their lives under complete and sovereign control is amazing. Now, what does that have to do with anxiety? We are anxious because we don't believe that God is in control. Or we just don't think He cares for us. We have to start with the first one. There are a lot of people who might be able to say, I think God cares for me. I just don't think He's sovereign. I don't know that He has full control. And, And it's a radical thought to think that everything that happens is completely under his watch and his care. That is a radical thought. And what would it look like for you and for me to begin to actually believe that him being uh, in control of everything, the hairs that fall from your head, the, the, the infinite sovereignty he has, would that begin to change your anxiety a little bit? When we, we, were, we were at the Arts Festival this week. We were there on Friday. It's right in the shadow of the Devon Tower. You've seen the Devon Tower. It's amazing. And we, and we went there and we were just kind of, the girls were looking at some dance that was happening and the boys and I were just kind of like, let's go over there. We're going to walk over and kind of go into Devon Tower and look around. They don't let you go up unless you have a badge. But Coleman and I got into conversation about window washing. Can you imagine being a window washer on the Devon Tower? That would be the worst, the worst job. And Coleman said something that I thought about in the past. He said, what if you knew you couldn't die? You know, wouldn't that be awesome? I remember having that thought when I was younger, uh, looking over a bridge that just it was like near Taos. It's a, a gorge that just goes down forever, and I just thought, how scary would this be if I just knew there was no chance I could die? Would I stand on the ledge? Would you? Have you ever played that game? When you imagine it, you're afraid. What if you were on the edge of the Devon Tower, standing like this? Well, you're afraid, right? If you have fear of heights, some of you are going to start throwing up any time. But, but I can't imagine it, but somehow I just thought, what if you knew you couldn't die? How different would it be if you had a parachute, right? You had something tethering you. And it, it, just the reality that if you believed you were safe, you would have no fear. Now, whatever anxiety comes from heights, and, and it's a normal anxiety. Humans aren't supposed to be hundreds or even thousands of feet above you know, nothing. But it's a fear because we think there's maybe going to be death. There's going to be harm. There's going to be a problem. And so when we understand what, God, what Jesus is telling us, one commentator says that as long as you're alive on the earth, you're immortal. Kind of an odd phrase, isn't it? Well, of course. But he's saying God is sovereign 
And when you're going to die, you're going to die. But in the meantime, live like you're an immortal. Live to the fullest. So that's sort of the underlying theme of this sermon is that God is in control. But I think there are objections to that. The first objection, and we're going to point to about worry, is that worry feels like it works. See, I think we worry because it actually makes us feel like we're involved. And yet, Jesus is telling us in this passage that we shouldn't be anxious because worry doesn't work. So, let's begin with the birds. How many times have you heard this or thought of this passage or something like it? Maybe you've changed it in your mind. And you've thought, the birds don't have to do anything. You know, they just get fed, right? God just feeds the birds. Why do I have to work? And so I think we have this natural fear that the the two options are to be anxious and probably productive and get the good job in the corner office or just be lazy bums with nothing going on. We've missed the middle of the road, right? The fact that there's an ability to actually work and be productive without anxiety. And that is what Jesus is telling us. The birds that, that he is talking about work very hard. Again, I remember I've driven down the street and just see these birds eating the things they eat. You know, you're like, you're eating that. It's not fun. Jesus doesn't say they're great. it's great food. He's not providing them filet mignon or whatever. It's sometimes really gross squirrel or, or you know, things like that. So they're, it's not always amazing. The worms might have pesticides, but, he, but they, he's taking care of them. But they're working and they're toiling. And so what he's saying in this passage then is that worry is not going to help you get your goal. And look at what he says when he, um, in verse 20, I believe it's 27. And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? What is he getting at? Jesus is explaining your reason and my reason for anxiety and worry, if we're honest. It's not just something that we sort of do on accident we actually think somewhere that it's going to help us. Somewhere inside we think, this is going to help my life. I, if, I'm, if I'm worrying, if I'm anxious, at least my eyes on the prize, so to speak. At least I'm still involved. right? But if I let go of it, the thought of forgetting about it for a minute, the, the anxiety, the thought of putting it behind me, I think that feels very unsettling. And then a little bit later he says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And there you have it. Anxiety and worry have no bounds of time. When you're worried about something, it doesn't, it's not just about the task in front of you. It's usually things that are far outside of anything you have control over. And that's what makes worry so insidious. It tells you, you need to be thinking about these things. Parents, your kids are going to college. How? I just raised your anxiety level. Students, what are you going to do with your life in three years or four years or two months? Who are you going to marry? We just think so far out there. And it's constantly in our head that it actually makes us less efficient on the day. So here we are, Jesus is saying, if you could focus today and all of those things are taken away, you would be a very effective person but what we do is we actually, utilizing worry and anxiety so often, become ineffective in the moment. There's a psychology about this called flow. I don't know if anyone here has ever studied the psychology of flow, but they began examining surgeons uh, or rock climbers, people who could kind of go into trances while they worked, and time seemed to disappear. And they began to study these individuals, 
uh, and then try to apply it to regular workers. I cannot, I know that I could, the name of the psychologist starts with a C and a Z and it goes on. It's very hard to pronounce. I'm not going to even try it. Um, but he, he started studying other people and he found a guy that worked on an assembly line doing the same thing over and over in, in a Midwestern town. And he said that guy was happy. And he began to interview him and people like him. And the same thing happened. While they were doing their task, they were so focused on what was in front of them that, that they were not anxious, that they were not, their mind wasn't drifting. The very thing you and I would think we would do if we were doing that guy's job, he was loving. He's, they said he began to kind of like make a game out of it and, and see how he could even improve his time and his efficiency. Aaron is longing for that kind of employee. I know you are. He's over there going, man, what's that guy's number? Sorry. Um, I'm not supposed to call people out in sermons. I do it periodically. But this guy loved his job for that reason. And then you have Jesus with the woman at the well. Again, what would we have done? We'd have been on our phones. We'd have been waiting for food. We'd have been thinking, you know, we don't talk to women. It's noon. It's midday. We don't, you know. Jesus looks at her single-mindedly. His, his disciples show back up and go, what are you doing? And he's looking at her. And she walks away going, he knew me. He knew every detail. But we don't do that because we are worried and we are anxious. So worry doesn't work. It takes away our focus. It takes away our ability to, to be in the moment. We, we, we look back and think we're missing things. Things that we were there for. I've talked about this before. You look at a photograph and you're like, that looks amazing. I can barely remember it. You know, it's like, that was a fun time, but I was so stressed by getting the picture taken. You know, it all line up and take 32 photos. It looked fun. It was, it was stressful. That, that was a stressful moment. We are having a tough time just living in the moment. And Jesus is saying that is what the gospel provides is, is the takeaway of anxiety that you would stay in the moment and love those that you're in front of and look in their eyes. So what's our objection to this? How many of us really want peace? right? How many of us really want to trust that God is sovereign, point number one, and number two, let go of worry and anxiety, the very thing that we have held on to in the, moment, in, the in the midst of a world we know we have no control. It's sort of, that's like a child's tantrum. I think the grown-up tantrum is anxiety. We can cling. It doesn't make sense, but at least it feels good in the moment. And I think that leads us to point three, that we are not, we are unbelieving the fact that God is not only sovereign, but we don't believe He thinks that He will take care of us. And that leads us to this point is that we are valuable. Something that Jesus says over and over in this passage is that we are valuable to Him, to the Father. If you look at, um, just starting in the beginning of the passage, He compares us to the birds of the field, right? And then He says in verse 27, 20, the end of 26, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? How does that sit with you? Like, do you think that? Do you think that God thinks you're valuable? Does that something you think about as you consider who you are in Christ? Last week we talked about the pearl of great price. It's the parable of Jesus or of the of the man finding the pearl and, and, and selling everything he has to own the pearl, right? Or there's another one like it with treasure. And I mentioned the fact that 
most of us read that and rightly think we are supposed to value the kingdom. That is true. When we are the ones that are supposed to treasure the kingdom. All of last week's point. But there's something else going on even in those parables of the kingdom where it looks like we are the treasure. And here in this passage, the very next passage where Jesus says, therefore, do not be anxious because you are of value, he says. Do you feel like you are of value? Your Father finds you valuable. And then he says this, the grass whom Jesus fills with lilies, so he's obviously taking care of, or the, the Father, but that grass is, take, is here today, but tomorrow is thrown in the oven. Have you ever wondered why he says that? Why does that matter? Why is that detail there? Because you and I don't have that same end. The key to facing anxiety is having the picture of the whole story. That we are not going to face that kind of end. And I think we live as if we are. Have you ever read a news story where you're just like, I don't have one in particular, but you, I'm going to make one up as we go. There's a guy and a girl, and they're just like, let's just cut loose and start robbing banks. Okay, you've ever heard of these stories? There was one recently, so if not, that one exists. And, and they're just this young couple. They rob a bank, or they go off and they spend money. They're living up their life. It's just wonderful. But you're reading this story going, it's going to come to an end. Like, that can't last. Don't you see? You want to talk to people sometimes that you see in this world and go, you know this won't work for very long, you know. You know that kind of drug will eventually do this to you, right? Or this kind of lifestyle. And yet, our world lives as if everything we have is today and that's it. I know the fears and the anxieties are there, but it's like, I'm going to just burn it today. And Jesus is saying, don't fear for tomorrow, but you need to trust that I have got you in my hands for the forever, for eternity. And that is the whole point of this passage, is he's saying you have you are more valuable than the birds and the lilies because you have eternity with Christ. Is that something that you rest in? Is that something that you believe in? Is that your future? This message only makes sense. This passage only works for those of us that know we are sons and daughters. So why are you restless? Do you know that you're a son or a daughter of the king? Is that something that means something to you? I talked about this before, but Donald Miller in his book um, on not having a father to own a dragon, he talks about an elephant rescue in Africa where they have the what you might call the sort of normal elephants and then they have a few male elephants that are just extremely angry. And they, they, they have a certain type of musk that, that happens. They were orphaned. And so in their adolescence, they begin to tear things up. They actually will waddle over to like a hippopotamus and spirit. They will just, they're just ex- extremely destructive. And, and they, the, the scientists, the caretakers didn't know what to do. And they realized this frustration is because they were raised without the normal influence of an adult male parent. And so they began trying to parent, uh, pair these elephants with males to see their, and they could see that their demeanor would change. That immediately when they were with the adult herd and they were cared for, all of that anxiety and angst and frustration would be cured. If you are anxious, it's a clear picture that you don't believe you're a child of God. That, that, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. 
When I am anxious, and I'm an anxious person, in that moment, I'm living like a non-Christian. I'm living, as Jesus would say, like a Gentile or a pagan. Someone who does not believe in the existence of the Father in heaven. So what do you do? In verse 33, but seek first the kingdom and His righteousness, and these things will be added to you. Jesus is masterfully saying, look, there is hope for reordering. Things can be restructured and reordered the way they were meant to be. And it begins by you understanding that the God of the universe came in the form of a son, of His Son. He came down as your Heavenly Father, as the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is mind-boggling, but it's Jesus pursuing you, saying, I love you, and He lives this life for you. Right? But do you believe that He did? Do you believe when you read this passage that you were anywhere in His mind? And He adopts you like the elephant's being adopted. And He pulls you in. And He's telling you, you don't have to be anxious. Your future is secure. But you have to, in light of that, seek first the kingdom. I was reading Francis Schaeffer again. I love his book, True Spirituality. I, I highly recommend it. Um, and and he, one of the things he was talking about was the fact that justification by faith, which is when you come to Christ, Many of you, if you're a Christian, you would say, I received Christ not because of anything I did. I received Christ because of everything He did. I was justified by faith. I receive it by faith. But the problem most of us have is we don't know what to do after that. And so sanctification, if we're honest, that is growing in holiness, we actually kind of unfortunately start to think is up to us. Right? We begin to try to live our lives out of our own strength. And that is where anxiety comes in because we don't. There's a disconnect. That's the very reason why Schaefer wrote the book. He said, "I saw a disconnect in the Christian life everywhere else, but I see it in my own life." And I would ask you, do you see that same disconnect? I see it so often in my life. And here's the good news: Jesus, the Jesus that saved you, is the Jesus that will grow you. He will do the growing. But what do you do? You just sit back. Like the birds? No, the birds work. We don't work for our salvation, but we move toward Him. If you knew that your answer, if you had a sickness and there was no cure, and someone said, actually, I guarantee you, you'll go three doors down and to the right, there's a cure. Then I feel like I'm working for it. You know? I've got to get up. I've got to walk. I've got to turn two corners. We would race to get there. Jesus is saying the kingdom has come. Cherish it. Do you believe? So practically speaking, what do we do? We take faith. That is, the instrument we have that God has given us to receive like the earth receives rain. This information. We pray. We read the Scriptures. But those are both after and because of and, and filled with faith. It's your faith taking hold of Christ in everything you do. So let me walk you through a practical moment. You find yourself tomorrow struggling with something in a moment where you're anxious. There you go. It's your first challenge. Now's the homework, right? So now you see the anxiety and you place the stake in the ground and you say, there it is. There is me not believing Jesus loves me. There is me not believing the Gospel is true. 
Oh, don't get me wrong, you could go lead a Sunday school right then, it'd be great. Or you'd go have a great conversation and tell someone how to fix their life. But you, with that stake in the ground, are living as if you are an orphan. What do you do with that? You confess that. You don't fix it. You say, Jesus, help me. I am overwhelmed. I am nervous, but I believe you are real. I want to cry out to you. Lord, whether it's my bank account, my health, my children, maybe it's something that's really crazy and silly, but you just pray it out and you receive Him like the earth receives the rain. Often that will lead to confession. Right? I want to, read, I want to remind us of Philippians 4.6 where uh, Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Many of you have memorized that? You've stuck the stake in the ground. Here we are. We see the anxiety. We worship. Prayer. We go to the Lord first. Lord, we can confess. We can thank Him. But we're praying. I would, ask, I would bet that most of the time, a lot of our petitions would start to change at that point. But then He says, still offer your petitions with thanksgiving. What does that mean with thanksgiving? You are so overjoyed about the length that Jesus has gone to and about the future home in heaven that our petitions change. And oftentimes, when we're done with our prayer, we may not feel like anything's going to happen, but we feel closer to Jesus. But do you trust Him that He can answer your prayers, that He can answer your anxieties, and that He can take it away? Do you even believe that's possible? I am as guilty as anyone in this room of having anxiety. It just, it's, it's like... It's, it's like it's like water to the fish, I think, for many of us. You ask a fish about water. I don't know what you're talking about. Everywhere. I think anxiety is becoming more and more the air that we breathe. And we, go to, we need to go to Jesus with that and pray, Lord, here I read in Matthew 6 that You have come, You have saved me, and You offer a life free from anxiety. Will You rescue me? And do that over and over again, and He will rescue you.